Join Rabbi Dr. Reb Mimi Feigelson as she blends stories, teachings, and spiritual direction, inspiring us to inscribe ourselves in the book of life and living. One of the world's most vibrant teachers of Hasidut, this podcast celebrates the life and teaching of Reb Mimi, an essential link in the chain of the Hasidic rabbis who preceded her. like to um, start with a few words, personal words, if you'll indulge me in this. Um, as we're speaking right now, there's a funeral happening in Bichemish. Um I'd like to dedicate our learning oh, Most of you already seen me cry multiple times. I'd like to dedicate our learning today. to someone who um, was a soul brother and a partner in journey, um, who went to sleep a few days ago and didn't wake up, and who changed my life in many, many ways. And um, and I regret that I don't remember his mother's name right now. And um, someone asked um, on a memory page that's been put up um, to share when was the first time he met Azriel. And the truth is, I shared that I met him before I met him because his biological family was my soul family growing up in Rehovot. And in 10th grade, I actually invited his grandfather to teach in my home. And then only after that, um, Azriel came into my life. And um, I can't even say and remember when, um, but I will share um, the moment that really in many ways changed my life. Um, I received a phone call um, on a Monday morning um, from my uncle, and um, his stepmother had just passed away, and he wanted me to come from Yerushalayim to officiate at her funeral. And um, it was just... It was just the same time as my father's yard site, and I had planned on taking off a few days to be alone, and then all of a sudden I realized like, I'm getting on a plane <laughs> off to New York to officiate at a funeral. And um, so the funeral was on Thursday, and then on Friday night we went to, to Rip Shlomo Shul, and, um, and I remember teaching, and in the back of the room there was someone who every word, I, every time I opened my mouth was like listening like really very attentively. And um, when it was over, um, when davening was over, and I was walking out with my uncle, um, he came over to me, Azriel came over to me, and he said, I've been looking for you for weeks and couldn't find you. And I'm thinking, you're in the heart of the Kalbach Shul. And if you throw a stone, anyone you hit knows where to find me. So it was kind of like an interesting opening statement. Um, and um, he said, I've been looking for you because I want you to come with me to India. This is a couple days after Tushvat, um, I want you to come with me to India for Pesach. And I'm thinking, okay, I don't know who this person is, because I couldn't remember him for the life of me. He's dropping names as if we had been friends for a gazillion years, because he was talking about his uncle in Rehovot, and like, and he wants me to go off to India with him. And I remember saying to him, I said, dear one, I love you, 
and um, I'm getting on a plane as soon as Shabbat's over, and I'm going back to Yerushalayim, and I suggest that your sense of reality kicks in soon. Which is basically what I said to to Dr. Cohen when I came when when this position possibly created for me that wasn't English but you understand and he took me to the airport and I said I said I am getting on a plane I'm going home and you're making you turn going back to your home and I suggest by the time you get back to Pico Robertson your sense of reality kicks in, which explains why I ended up in India and also why I ended up here. Um, <laughs> I have to stop using that sentence. <laughs> Right, because obviously it turns out that other people's reality, for me, is actually what my my life ends up being. <laughs> I guess there's a lot of truth to that. Um, I mean, I want to say to the point where I um, remember when you, you would fly from Israel to from to to um, Bombay and from Bombay to Delhi, and then you would take an overnight train to Patankot, and then there was another three hours. And we're slapping with our matzah and our oil. It was like ridiculous, the whole thing. But it was like, right? And I just remember standing in the middle of Patankot. I can't tell you like how far from home I was. Erev Pesach, which meant there was no way to get back to civilization by Pesach. Looking at this person in front of me and saying, who are you? And why am I here? Now, granted, and needless to say that within an hour and a half of being in Dharamsala, um, I was already at a Xerox machine, which made me feel completely at home. <laughs> Barely running water. And the truth of the matter is, when Israel and I spoke on the phone after that trip, you know, um, when I got home, I said to him, I'll do whatever you want, just make sure that there's a Western toilet when I get there. <laughs> I said, you're not responsible for the journey, you're just responsible for when I get there, what I find there. He came good with the, with that promise, and um, and India was a was a world that I had aspired to be part of, and uh, the only way I knew I was going to get there actually was, or Azriel knew the only way I was going to get there was actually was to invite me to teach, and um, and the um, and the crazy crazy thing is just yesterday morning I only found out Chag was over, um, but yesterday morning I, there was a dress in the closet and I pulled it out, and I said, you need to let go of this dress. It's about, you know, 150 pounds bigger than you are now, and you need to let go of this dress. And I said, but I've worn this dress all over the world, and there are so many memories that you have connected with this dress. And I said, you know, there's, um, there's a picture of me in Israel and one of the monks at Tushita in the dress. I have a memory of the dress. And I took it off the rack and I folded it up and um, and then later in the day I found out. So um, Azriel was a was a musician, was an artist, was a poet, was um, I want to say more than anything was a was a true believer in life and a true believer uh, in dialogue. And when you emailed him, you never knew where he was where he was going to be. Um, Bali was his last stop, Shanmai was where he was living now, um, but you could never, never, you could never, never know. And um, spent time with Tikhnat Han and Plum Village, um, Israeli-Arab dialogue, traveled, really the world was, was his palm of his hand in his backyard, and people were God's gift to the world. And he really believed, he really believed that we could transform the reality that we were living in by virtue of being in dialogue. 
who's a healer. Um, and I remember sitting, watching him paint. And I actually have one of his paintings in my office, a small painting that he gave me years ago. Um, and it's always with me here in my office. It's a watercolor. And, um, and I remember watching him paint, and especially when it came to the end, I would, you know, there'd be a pause in his painting. And then there'd be one more stroke. And I remember asking him, how do you know when a painting is complete? Right, when the master world created the world. What, you know, if I could use that image of the Midrash, of that one drop of ink that was left in Moshe's quill, right, and left for each and every one of us to complete the Torah with. In my mind, I sometimes would ask, well, if, so to speak, God had one more moment before Shabbat came in. <laughs> right? We all know what that looks like. <laughs> that one more thing that you're about to do, and you just, you really just can't. You just can't, and you have to let go of it. So if I could use that, such a, you know, a concrete anthropomorphic language, but that moment, you know, the moment after the 18 minutes, <laughs> when you're, you're done, like, what would have that been? And that's how I tried to understand this sense of the last stroke that he would take in his painting, like, when did he know that the painting was complete? And sometimes I'd even spend time looking at his hands, trying to understand how do hands, how do those hands create what they create? And I guess you could say that for any artist, for any musician, for a carpenter, for a sculptor. How do those hands, which I do often look at these hands of people and say, how do they create what they create? Um, yeah, Asriel's last posting was from New Jersey, and I was going to respond. It was Erev Chag, and I said, you know, wait until after Chag, and then, because if he's in Jersey, that means probably he'll make it to the West Coast as well. And um, so I didn't have that last, that last, that last moment. Um, I have to say that I've been walking around with the question of, how does this happen? Let alone, why does it happen? Israel worked so hard to be in this world and to make this world a better world. But if there is a place of gratitude in my heart for the way he died, um, one is I want to say to die in your family's home. My fear was always that he was going to die somewhere at some point, somewhere in the world. And no one really know that he was missing for days or... No one would be waiting for him. And that was always my fear for him as he was traveling the world. I always carried that fear in my heart that something would happen and he would, and no one would know. No one would know to look for him for days. So there's a, um, there's a comfort for me in the fact that he was visiting family. He was in his brother's home, his sister's home, and his parents were there. He was in a, a bed that he was comfortable in. And, um, and, I'm, and I have to say that that brings, um, that brings comfort, comfort to me in terms of how, um, how he left the world. 
and the rest is in God's hands. So here we are in the Tamil Dvoah and learning about God's 13 attributes of compassion. <laughs> so really I want to dedicate our learning today in his honor. It's hard for me to say, use the word um, memory, so I want to say nishmat to the ascent of his soul. Azriel Dan Harav Abraham Akohen. And Azriel said that they were Kohanim Yuchasim, which meant that they were Kohanim that knew where they come from back generations. Rip Shlomo's mother came from a family of Kohanim Yuchasim as well. There aren't a ton of them, but thank God there are some. So you would look him in the eyes and you would try to go back generations back. How far back could you go? looking him in his, in, the, in his eyes. <sighs> always a child, always a mystery. So I want to say, here we are, looking at God's kit, God's crown, which normally is the sphira that we can't even talk about, can't understand and comprehend. And then the foundation that the Tomo offered us last time in our learning, past year, a couple weeks ago, um, was this notion of God manifesting in actions. God manifesting in actions. And the Tomat will use in this chapter the 13 attributes of compassion, uh, not the ones as they appear appear in um, in Shemot, but actually the ones that appear in Micha, which is why also on the, on the front page, on this first page, I Xerox for you, um, actually we're, we're most familiar with these Psukim, and that is from, the, from Tashlich. <coughs> And then you can see in this Sidur, which is the art school Sidur, you will see above each one of them, it also has the Midah, the 13 Midot, as they appear in Shemot, how they apply to it. So we're going to look at the first one today. Mi El Kamucha. Who is a God like you? So God is a, a, a creator that um, bears insult. I want to say that there, there, God actually um, has emotion, it appears here. God can be insulted, um, but... At the same time, he bears insult in a way which we cannot even imagine. Right? So I, you know, this fear of, of hurting someone and then apologizing and then wondering what really happens in that moment. And do people really forgive? Or as my grandfather once said to me, I forgive but don't forget. <laughs> That you don't forget for life. <laughs> <laughs> right? But do we? Do we walk in that same way? We forgive but don't forget. Now, I want to say sometimes in my mind, um, actually a, a falling out in a relationship can actually strengthen a relationship because it teaches someone how important a relationship is to you. Right? Um, when I speak of a, a certain person in my life who taught me that there is love beyond betrayal, right? that says that that's how important this person is in my life. 
that no matter what, I'll find my way back to love. What would be those boundaries, those parameters of bearing insult in our mind? And for the Tomot Zvorah, for the Ramah, for Moshe Kodovel, he's saying that God's ability to forgive in that way or to, or to bear the insult, right, is beyond what we can comprehend. So this is how he's beginning to unfold what this really means for him. He says there is nothing that God does not see. Okay, so in case we didn't understand, if that wasn't enough to say that there is nothing which is God is um, oblivious to, that blisafek is there to make sure that we got the, got the message, right? For sure, undoubtedly, there is nothing that God is not aware of. And more so, So in this image that I always carry of God breathing into us, every breath that we inhale is God's exhale. Every exhale is God's inhale. So we don't have a reality in which we are not sustained from God's power, ability, that is poured upon us. The oxygen that we breathe, the light that we experience, the, the, the mechanism of our body that continues to sustain itself. Right? Like, I'm trying to figure out like, what that last breath was. Right? Like, how does Leah's body know the difference between sleeping and not? How does that transition happen? Right? One breath he's sleeping and the next breath he's not. So he says here that Tomadwa says there isn't a moment, don't think for a moment, that God is not. <coughs> so another image I want to offer is we think that we have this continuous vision even though we, we blink all the time because our mind creates, it, our mind fills in the gap of our blink or our mind can't comprehend the darkness in that moment of blink. But God doesn't blink. Right? Like the fish. They sleep with their eyes open. God doesn't blink. There's not a moment where God is not. And is not sustaining us. So this is the craziness of this reality. Right? The reality is, since God is present in every moment, and God sustains us in every moment, that means that as we are transgressing, I don't like the word sin, as we are transgressing, God's sustaining us. Right? So the, one of the images I like to think about is a parent giving their child um, allowance. Right? And then the question is, is this an allowance on condition? You can have allowance as long as you only buy educational books. You can have your allowance as long as you give it all to tzedakah. I'm giving you your allowance, and you are free to do with your allowance as 
you, my child, choose to do with it. We may <coughs> teach a child about Maser even when they're nine years old and receiving allowance. Um, just make sure that at that point you calculate it enough that they'll be left with something. <laughs> but here he's saying, so there isn't a moment, imagine, we question, when is God with us? For the Talmud, God is never not with us. Never not with us. Even when we are transgressing, God does not pause the, push the pause button. Right? Imagine Dennis the Menace with the pause button. Or whatever your... Hmm? Is that what? Zach Morris from Say Better, though. He had a pause button. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know. I would just miss it. We just leave the generation. <laughs> and not in a way that makes me feel young. Sorry. <laughs> it's humbling. Thank you. <laughs> right? So, not God is there, and God sustains us in that moment. And God does not, he bears his suffering, he bears his insult as he is sustaining. Okay, now I want to give you an example of how this works in the human condition, because I've experienced this. It was a moment of my godliness. I remember it. It was a couple of years ago. Rosh Hashanah was two days of Rosh Hashanah and then Shabbat. I'm hosting in my home three families on the second day of Rosh Hashanah. And they are talking about having lunch together the next day. And I had no plans for lunch that Shabbat day. And I'm sitting there thinking, you are sitting at my table, eating my food, talking about coming together tomorrow, and not one of you thinks that maybe you should ask me if I have plans or would like to join. And then I continued to bring out the dessert. <laughs> mm. Right? I stay in the conversation. I stay as bite because it's my hog table, and you can't take my hog table away from me. And as I said, I brought out the dessert. So there are ways in which we can actually experience this um, in our own right and in our own lives. <coughs> Right, you share something of yours with someone that then turns <coughs> on you. As I always say, you can never use anything that I taught you against me. It happens. It happens. And being able to continue to not lose our composition to not lose vision of our higher self because the person has chosen to compromise their higher self. Right? That, I think, is a piece of what's being asked of us here. Because another person has chosen to compromise their higher self, it doesn't mean that we need to meet them there or that they in any way can, to, can take us down to that, point, to that place. Now, I want to say, now continue to remind us as we're learning this first chapter of Tom Dvorah, we're talking about Sfirat Keta, we're talking about the Sfirah which is unexplainable, uncomprehendable. 
and which someone from the outside may say, what are you, a shmata? They step on you and you continue to engage in dialogue with this person? And that's where there's a way in which I want to, which I believe that there's something inside of us that we may not even be able to understand where we're drawing the strength to do that or what that means. But I think it's possible. And it's asking of us to really dig in deep to that higher place within us. So this is how the master of the world, right, doesn't withdraw, is actually with us. And you shouldn't say, God forbid, that God actually can't withdraw God's strength. In other words, and that would be one understanding, right, that God puts the world into motion and then removes himself from the world. That would be a closer approach like the Rambam. God creates the world, the world moves into motion, nature takes over, and then God doesn't intervene. So he says, don't even think that. We actually have an example of that with Yerobam, that all of a sudden we would call that, today we would call that an hysterical paralysis. Um, in the time of Malachim, we call that divine intervention. And if the fact, even though God can withdraw this strength, thank you very much. God says, use your vitality, use your strength, not mine. Use your money, don't use mine. Right? Can you promise me that you will use whatever I give you only for good? That's an example why. There's a mitzvah that we don't say abrachan. A mitzvah that we observe that we don't say abrachan. Okay, have you ever noticed that we don't say abrachan, a mitzvah of staka? We give staka and we don't say abrachan. It's a mitzvah that we don't say abrachan. Because we don't know what the person's going to do with the money. We don't know. Right? We all believe that when we hand someone a dollar, they're going to buy food. That's what we'd like to believe. But we don't know. We give in good faith, but we don't know. There's a surrender that happens. So since we don't know what the outcome of this is going to be, what's going to happen? So we don't say abracha and staka. So God said, God could say, you know what? Yours, not mine. It's not because of this. But God bears the insult and pours upon a person, the, continues, continuously enables a person to be the person that they are. And this is, if we can't, if we can't imagine what kind of trait this is, to be able to bear such an insult. I want to also see, though, that what this does is, it, it maintains the possibility of relationship. 
when this person who betrayed me betrayed me, the one thing, despite everything that happened, I continued once a week to learn with this person. And for an hour a week, on Friday mornings between 8.30 and 9.30, what happened paused at 8.30 and came back into play at 9.30. But it was like the water splitting. And I did this because I knew that if we stopped talking, we would never talk again. That if we stopped talking, we would never talk again. And the way for us to continue to talk and not talk was to learn. So for an hour, once a week, we would sit at a table and we wouldn't talk. The only words that came between us had to do with what we were learning. <coughs> nothing personal. Nothing about anything in our lives. And I did it because I knew that as long as we continued to talk, we would find a way back. And if we stopped talking, we would never talk again. And I believe that in that way, also here, there can't be shame. Shame is when there's a secret. Shame is when you're not sharing something. Shame is when the other doesn't know. There is no moment where God is not present in our life. There is nothing that we can hide. There's not nothing, there's no, not one experience or moment in our lives that God was not a part of. And despite that, God loves us. And despite that, God sustains us. Maybe sometimes even because of it. If it was a good Avera. If it made God laugh at the same time. Like, hmm, naughty kid, like it. <laughs> right? But there's not, there is not a moment. What this means is there's never a moment in our life where God isn't. God has seen it. God knows it. So when we make our way back, with all of us, it's not as if there's a situation where I can say, I'm leaving this part out. All of it. And this is why the, um, the angels, I want to say, call him Melech Aluv, which really, definitely, at least in modern Hebrew, is like not a pretty thing to say to someone. The way we translate it in modern, he would be, you're a little pathetic. Right? But really, it's a one who bears, who bears, and so who carries it. The name of God that is El is connected to, to Chesed, to the attribute of loving kindness. Chesed El Kolayom is the Pasuk that is used to create that <coughs> relationship and continuous loving-kindness. You have the ability to take revenge. You have the ability to withdraw. Your strength, your vitality. And with that, you suffer. And you bear until a person comes back. And I want to say one last thing about this, also, this image, and that is that there's also a way in which 
I believe that when, for example, when a parent sees a child do something that's harmful for them, it hurts the parent. They, they have, the child has to learn. So you, you can't withdraw it, or you can't avoid the situation. But nonetheless, you watch it, and your, and your heart goes out. Your heart aches. And I want to say that I imagine this image as well. Like the mouse in the world saying, I've given you this abundance. Like it hurts me to see what you're doing with it. Because it hurts me to see what you're doing with yourself. I can't hold you back from it. You'll learn from it. You'll grow from it. You'll become who you are. It'll become a piece of who you are. But nonetheless, it hurts. This is an attribute that we uh, are asked to encompass, to embrace. Meaning to say, this ability to bear. To be able to bear, to hold, and not withdraw from a person. What is it going to take for us to stay open, accessible, available in this moment of insult? How are we going to be able, I want to say, to be able to be present? And what does this mean when a person comes to apologize and says, and even when I was so horrible, you didn't walk away. What does that mean for us to be able to contain that moment, to sustain ourselves and that person, to hold that person in their higher self until they're ready to reclaim themselves? What does that look like? And how, on the one hand, so uncomprehendable, and on the other hand, so divine. And uh, I want to conclude coming back to Azlir for a moment. Um, I really believe that Azlir um, saw many faces of many people. Some were pretty, some were not so pretty. But I think in the depth of his, of his being, he really believed in people's ability to connect to their higher self. He really believed that every person has a higher self. And if we were left to our devices and our hearts more than anything could heal, then the place that we would connect would be our higher self. And he fought, he fought for many years to help, to help us connect and find our higher self. So I bless us to uh, touch that part within ourselves, that the next time we find ourselves in this kind of situation, to allow um, to partner with us and that that moment also is, uh, is in partnership with us, the soul, as it's ascending to its new way of being and offering now not only a mission but also a legacy. Do you say Shavuot Tov on a Wednesday that's really a Monday? Why not? Shavuot Tov. Actually, Chazidi Chavua, that we can say Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. This podcast is supported in part by a grant from the Hadar Institute. 
The music is by Joey Weisenberg and the Hadar Ensemble. Learn more at risingsong.org. For more from the Shefa Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page, and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.